Thanks, Pastor Joel. So great to be together. Those moments of reflecting and celebrating and proclaiming the Lord's death as we, as we are instructed to do in Scripture. Thank you, Pastor Jaden, for leading us in those sacred, significant moments this morning. And just the opportunity in the context of, of a body to, to say, hey, I'm, I'm going through something and I, I'm standing before you, God, and before a loving church family. And if you stood, I'm absolutely confident people we're praying for you. That's cool. As we continue in this 16-message uh, series through the New Testament letter of Galatians, I want to share a brief synopsis of the backstory that is familiar to, uh, to many of you, for some maybe not. Uh, this letter of Galatians was written by a Christian leader named Paul. And before he became a Christ follower himself, Paul, whose name previously was Saul, uh, was a Jewish leader who uh, wanted to stamp out this Jesus movement, actually. Uh, he was vehemently opposed to this sect uh, of, of, of Christ followers, and he participated in imprisonment of uh, Christians and was parts of uh, sometimes groups that, that killed Christians. Read Acts 8, the martyrdom of uh, Stephen, a Christ follower, and, and Saul, Paul, was, was there, uh, pre-Christ pre in his life, of course. But then, shortly after that, in Acts 9, and you can read the history record of when Jesus interrupted Paul, still Saul at the time, uh, his journey to the city of Damascus to do what? He was hunting down more Christians. That's why he was going there. And Jesus showed up. And that may seem, oh, that's quite unique. And, ah, it is. And yet, some of you know, you've heard testimonies of in, in countries where, uh, uh, Islamic countries, Jesus shows up. There's, that's the testimony of many today, even. Uh, and and f I don't know, how do you explain that? You know, some, some get that, some don't. Probably most don't. And we come to Christ because the Spirit draws us and the Word of God and all of that. And that's, that's predominantly the way people come to Christ. But th there is this other element in our world even today, a supernatural um, appearance of Jesus Christ. Uh, to those, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, they won't change their way unless that happens. And uh, I don't know, in God's sovereignty, uh, that does happen. And, and that's what happened to Saul, in, again, you can read about it in Acts 9, and, and Saul uh, became convinced that Jesus, who appeared to him and challenged him, and he surrendered his life to Jesus, he, he became convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, God, Messiah, Savior, and he became his own Savior. And from that point on, Paul was a committed Jesus follower and experienced freedom from, uh, from, from really the, the bondage of religion uh, that Paul writes about a lot in this little letter of Galatians. Religion, where, uh, where it was on him to earn salvation. That's what religion is. It's on you. You better perform. What a, what a sad, non-biblical, weighty kind of way to go through life, hey? And, and some of you know that maybe from your past. Maybe some of you in this place or joining us online, you're, you're living that. 
You're, you you want to honor God, but, but you feel the pressure because you think that it's on you. I want to tell you, it's not on you. We just celebrated the cross. Jesus took it on him, stepped in for you. That's, that's the beauty of this uh, gospel truth. And again, uh, often referred to in this great letter of Galatians. Through Jesus Christ, Paul experienced the beauty of what he later said to the Ephesian Christians, the Christians in the city of Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift. It's a gift. So no one, no one can boast. Beautiful expression. This message from Jesus, again, is so freeing. It's, it's not on us anymore to earn our eternal salvation. And thankfully, that comes to us, uh, God's gift of salvation, as we said, um, as we said before, uh, through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by any system, not by any organization or institution or denomination, no. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And before Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian Christians, he had been with them on his first missionary journey. And Acts 13 and 14 is the historical narrative of that. You can read about it. We referred to that in previous message. Uh, Around 46 to 47 or 48 AD, Paul wrote this letter within a year, at the most uh, two years of being in this region, which uh, again, just by way of refresher, we said before, is modern day Turkey, Asia Minor at the time. Paul and Barnabas that worked together in uh, this region, they saw many people coming to know Christ, coming to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and embracing Christ and his gospel. And they brought these believers together in local churches all over the region because that's God's plan. A Christ follower is to be a part of a body. That's actually New Testament. And so they did this in this region. And, and then uh, Paul left the region but fairly soon afterward became very disturbed as we talked about in uh, Galatians 1, 6 to 9. Uh, became disturbed to hear that these young Christians were being led back into uh, slavery, the slavery of the rules and the demands of the Old Testament Jewish law by people that Paul refers to as false teachers who were, who were saying, yes, Jesus died on the cross. Oh, but don't forget about this Jewish ritual. And don't forget about this Jewish ceremony. Those are important parts of receiving salvation too, you know. That's what they were saying. And Paul said, no, that's wrong. These false teachers actually didn't believe that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for salvation. They had to add to it. And that's what religions, uh, Christian sects, or sects, uh, Christian cults, um, they often do. And they add to the cross of Jesus. These particular uh, false teachers were called, and you heard this word in a previous message if you're tracking with us, and if you've missed any of them, you can go to eaglemont.church and catch up uh, uh, by listening to the previous messages in this series. But they were called Judaizers, Judaizers. So uh, people that, that live as, uh, they, they, they're professing Christ, but they're, but they're living still according to their Jewish customs. They, they, they are adding, again, adding works to the grace message of the cross, works from their Jewish religion to the, to the pure and simple grace-filled gospel message of Jesus, Judaizers. 
Uh, but Paul makes it clear that Jesus came and fulfilled the law, so those practices are, uh, aren't necessary anymore. So let's read today's passage, and we won't, we won't get through it all. I, I was, I was over, overly optimistic in my uh, you know, previous uh, months ago sermon planning, uh, but we'll, we'll do what we can do here. Uh, this long reading won't be on the screen. Hope you have your Bibles. You can open to Galatians in the, somewhere near the middle of the New Testament. Or, or some of you use the YouVersion app or a Bible app. I encourage you to, uh, to, to get one of those. And then uh, in church, you can uh, uh, pull it out and uh, follow along. But if you don't have any of those, just listen closely as I read this fairly lengthy 10, 10 verses from Galatians 2. Paul writing, Then... Fourteen years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along, two New Testament figures. We'll talk about them. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted, and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. So, a non Jew, right? This is a Jewish crowd, these church leaders in Jerusalem. Verse 4 even that question came up only because of some so called believers there. False ones, really who were secretly brought in. This is, this is interesting. Paul says, they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. Sound like a conniving bunch, don't they? But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. Uh, by the way... Paul's a unique guy. He, he, he throws this in here. He said, by the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Point well taken. He, he, he's not intimidated by anybody. He, and you know why? That wasn't an arrogance. I, I believe that was he knew who he was in Christ. And that's, there's a teaching point for some of us in that. Our identity in Christ is so important. We're we won't say any more about that for time's sake, but uh, verse 7, instead, they saw that God, these church leaders in Jerusalem, kind of the, the main mother church, uh, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, he says, James, Peter, and John who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles. Again, non-Jews, different audience. While they continued their work with the Jews, their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Quite a passage Paul, very simply, he's fighting for the true gospel here, and he's willing to go to the top to ensure that the gospel he's been preaching, uh, salvation by grace alone, is the same message that the mother church in Jerusalem adheres to. 
And so, verse 1, Paul refers to this trip he took to Jerusalem, uh, telling the Galatian Christians about it in this letter, uh, to meet again with the church leaders of, of this Jesus movement. And, and he took this trip 14 years after he first met Christ, and also after about uh, a decade or, or a little more than a decade of of preaching this gospel. Uh, these church leaders, again, were the original disciples of Jesus. Peter, James, and John are mentioned in verse 9. And Paul lets the Galatian believers know that he's the one. He initiated this very important meeting, knowing that, that, that the gospel was potentially at stake with all of these Judaizers floating around. And so Paul takes his buddies with him, his ministry buddies, Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas, according to Acts 4.36, means son of encouragement. What a great name. And, and he was. He was an encouraging guy. He is the one who stood with Saul, who became Paul. Saul, the Christian killer, uh, when he came to Christ as, and became a, surrendered his life as a Christ follower, Barnabas stood with him vouched for him, took him to meet the Jerusalem church leaders. He believed his conversion to Christ uh, was, was genuine, while a lot of believers were saying, I don't know, how could that be? Someone like Saul, I'm not going to trust him. And there was that going on. But Barnabas, son of encouragement, stood with him. Good call, Barnabas. And 2,000 years of Christians, thank you. Have you ever had somebody do that for you? Even risk their reputation to support you, to encourage, to, to stand with you. I mean, that, that's an awesome thing if you've had that. How, how encouraging is that? How, how great it is to have people journey with you, walking through the joys of life, the, the, the challenges, uh, people to encourage you, and, and, and you them, hopefully. And, and if you don't have someone like that in your life, I, I encourage you to Begin to pray. God, I believe God wants you to have someone like that in your life. And, and if you don't, again, ask, start talking to God. Maybe that's where you're at. You need to just begin talking to God about that and saying, God, bring that friend, bring that person into my life. I encourage you to do that. But, but then don't just, don't, don't just sit and pray and wait. No, in, engage. Step out, engage with others. Risk the cultivation of friendship. And that's not always easy. You're likely to be disappointed, maybe even hurt along the way. But, but just, just kind of a sidebar thought here. Don't, don't give up. Don't give up on God's idea of what body life in the body of Christ should be. And I know there's personality, and some of you, you know, you, you, you need that more, really, based, you know, and others feel they don't, but I, I think even though you do, to some degree, for sure. Different levels, different ways that's expressed, yes, given the introvert, extrovert thing, and all that personality, uh, God's made you, and whatever. But bottom line, we're not designed to journey this path solo. Then Titus. It's almost like Titus is tagging along, and it may appear that way, but he's on this trip for a very specific reason, and we'll talk more about him in a moment. Uh, in verse 2, Paul makes a point of saying, I went to Jerusalem because God revealed that I should go. Interesting. He, he wants the Galatian uh, Christians to know that, that God was in this, directing him, and, and we don't know what that looked like. We don't know how that uh, revelation, uh, how it was revealed to him. Uh, it's not 
Paul doesn't say. Uh, did it come in a dream? Uh, was, it a, was it a prompting, as we sometimes refer to, to God's whisper? Or what, was it, was it a, a thought that, that uh, he recognized? Uh, yeah, that could be from God. That's just kind of settling there in a, in a place that's unique. And I, I feel a, a growing uh, peace with that. Or, you know, so uh, different ways that it, it, it could come about. And some of you are, you know, growing as, as I still am, hearing God's direction, recognizing his, his, his whisper, uh, as, as, as the book of Kings in the Old Testament refers to God's voice sometimes being that, what is it? Still, small voice. Some of you have heard that. And I'm with you. Times, is that me? Is that God? I mean, right? Uh, but that's... That's part of the journey. That's part of the growth and, and discerning that. And, 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 and if you, you think it's God and you, 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 you take a step and, oh, you know, you know it, it, God's not there with a whip to reprimand you. No, he's lovingly guiding. Okay, that's okay. Let's come back and all those things. It's, it, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a challenging thing, but, but, but worth giving thought to, giving prayer to, reading the word about. I, I, do you want to hear God's direction? Well, primarily it comes through his word, but there is that aspect of, of listening to the Holy Spirit who, as Christ followers, he resides in us and wants to be the illuminator of truth and the one to comfort us and the one to direct us and all of those things. And the Holy Spirit is God. I, I mentioned this a, a, a couple of weeks ago, I think, the Holy Spirit is not an it, as in a, you know, some kind of power. Yeah, he's, he's got power because he's God, but, but he is a person. You can walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are times when God wants to reveal some specific direction to us. I believe that, absolutely. But I, but I wonder, again, how often do we, do we tell God that? God, I, I want to know. I want to hear. If you have anything to say to me, speak. Speak today. Speak through other people. Speak through your word. Speak through your still, small voice. I'm open. And that doesn't have to be weird. That's part of relationship, right? Are we open to that? Well, maybe sometimes we're afraid of that. Nah, we don't have to be. Uh, are we committed as well is another question. When we're asking God, if we're asking God to speak, are we already pre-committed to, to obey God no matter what he might ask of us? That plays in, I believe, to how much we will hear God's uh, specific direction on, on things in our life. So there's a variety of elements there. It's kind of a fly over here. I, I'm sorry, not drilling down on any one thing, but that, that's okay for the, for the time being. Um, yeah, an important question in this discussion of hearing God's voice is, are, are you regularly uh, in the Word of God? So that if you think you hear His whisper or His still small voice, you can know if it's contrary to what is written clearly in the Word of God, then it's not God speaking. It's not God speaking. An example. Now, this might strike you as a bit of an extreme example, but it's an example that's happened. If you ever hear someone claim something like they felt God leading them to leave their spouse, and I'm not talking in a situation where there's infidelity or abuse or, you know, uh, some situations where separation for reconciliation, you know, those situations. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. But the person is just bored. And all of a sudden, well, we're not compatible anymore. And, and, and God, I've been praying about this. 
God told me I could leave my wife, divorce my wife, and marry her. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. It's not God. That, that, because that's contrary to what God has already said in the Bible. He wants you to stay committed to your spouse, to, to follow through on your vow that you made to that person and to God on your wedding day because that honors him and that helps you grow in Christ-like character. Doesn't marriage do that? <laughs> yeah, I'm still a work in progress there. We're going to have a testimony time now. Miriam, you can take the mic. <laughs> nice one. Nice one. Oh, that's funny. So, knowing God's word is, is a safeguard. Is absolutely a safeguard against embracing wrong messages, Right? But there are legitimate promptings when the Holy Spirit wants to speak specific direction. Or there may even be times when he says, hey, here's three options. Pick one. I've gifted you in any of these areas. Just be sure to live for me faithfully in whatever you choose to do. I believe that can be the case. And, and I mean, this, this, again, this whole will of God discussion is, is, a, is a, a big one and, a, and a, sometimes a confusing one. Uh, but enough said. From, uh, except to say that, you know what, from... Uh, Miriam and my experience over the years in bigger decisions that we've sought God's leading on, what has consistently turned out to be God's direction as you have the opportunity to look back, and yet, you know, you can't always assess it by, uh, and I'm not saying we look back and, yeah, everything went smoothly, so it must have been God's will. No, actually, no. Read, read Paul's story. Didn't go smoothly. Lots of trouble, but he was in God's will, right? Uh, but anyway, for us, as we pray about decisions, we have, have over the years prayed about decisions, um, th- there's been, when we look back and say that, that definitely we're, we sense we're in God's will, there was a growing, two simple, simple things, a growing peace and a growing excitement about whatever it was. And I'm not saying that's the template for, for everybody. There's other factors, and, but that, that is uh, proven in our life to be, to be pretty consistent. Continuing on in verse 2, Paul writes, uh, while I was there, I met privately with those considered to be church le- uh, leaders of the church and shared with them the message I was preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that they were in agreement for fear that all my efforts and, had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. Now, Paul wanted to be sure that all of his personal sacrifice in the gospel mission would not end up being in vain. Now, he wasn't checking to see with, he wasn't checking with them to make sure, is is what I'm preaching right? No, he knew that. Remember in the previous passage we looked at, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he said, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than one we've preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Wow, quite a statement. So, so, in other words, Paul knew beyond any doubt that he had the message right and that it was the message that would result in people being eternally rescued by grace, through faith, alone in Christ alone. But Paul went to the church leaders to be sure that his message was not going to be undermined. He didn't, he didn't want these Judaizers sweeping in and, and adding works, the requirement of works, 
to the message of grace that Paul knew was for all people of the world, not just, not just for the Jewish people, even though that's where it originated in that Jesus was born into a Jewish family. Paul wanted to get this good news message to the whole world. In verse 3, Paul says, uh, the Jerusalem church leaders supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Uh, Paul was a smart guy. I believe he was thinking ahead when he decided to take Titus along with him to meet the Jerusalem church leaders. He, he wondered if uh, the, the Judaizers were putting pressure on these apostolic church leaders to make circumcision and other aspects of the Jewish religion a requirement for salvation. And Titus would be kind of a test case uh, in that important church headquarters meeting. Titus, a non-Jew, uh, uncircumcised but a genuine Christ follower, Paul may have questioned the church leaders by asking, okay, what does my friend uh, Titus need to do? Mr. Non-Jew, what does he need to do for salvation? Well, again, we know that they, they sided with, uh, with Paul's gospel. Um, and, and Paul's case, based on Jesus' teaching, was that Titus did not need circumcision nor any other Jewish ritual to be a Christ follower, nor did anyone else. And thankfully, these Jewish-born uh, and, and raised church leaders still fully believed that what Jesus said when he boldly declared in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. In other words, it's all you need. My forgiveness, my grace, as you ask for it. They, they, they fortunately expressed, these church leaders, agreement with Paul that all Titus needed for eternal salvation, like every one of us, was to receive God's, here we go, grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. I want you to be thanking God for the beauty and the power of that simple statement as you get into bed tonight, okay? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We, we should be grateful for those early church leaders. Otherwise, we'd probably all still be having to, you know, work hard and keep all the rituals in an attempt to earn our salvation. Salvation is not given to those who attain a certain level of you know, standard of character or giving or, or serving or whatever else you might put in God's, you know, or whatever else you might think will put you in God's good books. No. No. Those things God wants us to grow in, of course. And, 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 but whatever you do, don't let, you know, don't let the pendulum swing away from those things uh, that, are, that are a part of living a God-honoring uh, Christian life, of course, but, but none of those things are what secure our place in God's eternal family. No, that only comes, and say it again with me, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 4, some so-called believers, Paul writes, uh, uh, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in, Sneaked in to spy on us. They want to take away our freedom. They wanted to enslave us, force us to follow Jewish regulations. And then verse 5, Paul says, But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. I'm, I'm so glad that Paul was stubborn in this. Instead of giving in to those Judaizers, he, he wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel. Grace alone, by faith alone, 
in Christ alone. These false teachers were so intent on preserving their tradition that they missed out on the true gospel of grace, and that's a tragedy. And again, that happens still today. Now, a brief parenthetical thought here about an underlying point in this passage, it's this. Unity does not mean we sacrifice truth. Jesus prayed for unity among believers in John 17, yes, But that unity presumes upon those believers being on the same page regarding uh, regarding non-negotiable doctrines, as we sometimes refer to, like who is Jesus, in that he is God. Or what he did on the cross. Or clearly expressed sin issues from Scripture. Paul gives strong warning to those who are teaching heretical doctrines on key biblical truths. As Alyssa Childers writes, the Apostle Paul taught the Christians in Ephesus to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, 3. However, she says, he goes on to say that we have one faith. So this is a unity based on our common faith, not separate from it. Now, that may raise some questions we don't have time to get into, except, you know, a few things. First and Second Timothy, in First and Second Timothy, Paul even called some people out who he says had become a cancer because they had left the path of truth and were turning others away from faith in Christ. And then, in Romans 16, 17, same author, different letter, Paul writes, and now I make one more appeal, my brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Interesting. Well, that doesn't sound very loving. Yeah, but they're, they're coming under the guise of being a genuine Bible-believing Christ follower, and they're not. That's, that's what is the caution here. And then Jesus called false prophets vicious wolves in Matthew 7.15. I mean, who wants to cozy up with a vicious wolf? That's false unity. Now, having, having said that, there are things that we can graciously disagree on, of course, and still be in unity within the body of Christ. Things that don't affect our eternal salvation or our uh, not clearly uh, biblically stated sin issues. There can be, and there must be, uh, unity in diversity in such matters other than those things. And, and respect between genuine believers who, who view some of these uh, secondary things, as we sometimes call them, uh, view them differently. And, and, and there's, there's much opportunity these days for that, isn't there? Of course. Always has been, but, but certainly today there's opportunity for that kind of div- unity and diversity of, of opinion. And Jesus calls us to that, absolutely. The tie-in with, uh, as we wind down here, with today's message title, Freedom and Mission, uh, culminates at the conclusion of today's passage, and we'll conclude by simply rereading verses 8 and 9. Listen, for the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars in the church, recognized the gift God had given me. That had to feel good, eh? Uh, and, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. The beauty of freedom in mission is affirmed for Paul and Barnabas. 
The apostolic church leaders receive them, commission them, support them, no doubt pray for them, and send them out. And Paul goes to his mission field among the non-Jews, and they go to their mission field among the Jews, who who also need to know the grace-filled message of Jesus, that he is the only one who can bring them eternal salvation, not by the things they do in the religion of their background. Both missions, based on the beautiful, simple gospel, which means good news, literally, message. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you're already a Christ follower, from this passage today, I I don't know, I, I simply would want you to become increasingly thankful for this gospel message in your life that that God has brought to you in Christ. He has a mission for you to live out, every one of us, as Christ followers. He's got a way for you to display and share this good news message that that, that is unique to the way he created you, actually. And I see that. Uh, in the scope of the body, and it's very, very cool at times to observe. Based on your personality, your experiences, your interests. Some of you are wired to debate well, not in an aggressive way, but in a loving, caring, listening first kind of way. Others of you are wired to serve and show and share the gospel good news message through the way you, you, you do things for people and the love of God is shown through. Like, it's, just, it's just so cool. Don't compare yourself with others, though. Don't begrudge the way God's made you. I, I do that sometimes, <laughs> in some ways. Don't do that. Don't compare yourself with others. Be, be biblically clear with the gospel message, but let God, let God use you to share that message, his message, in, in the special and the unique way that he wants you to share it. And he'll empower you to do that. He'll give you creativity within that, within that his design of, of who he made you to be. That's awesome. I want to leave that with you. And if you've not chosen, if you've not made the the life-altering, eternity-changing decision to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you can today by expressing your trust in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for you. Stepping in for you to take upon himself the rightful judgment that a holy God required for sin. Because we're all sinners, every one of us. Jesus stepped in for you. To take that punishment so you wouldn't have to. And so you could live free and eternal with him. What, a, what, a, what an awesome thing. Think about it. Think about it. And in this moment, you can simply say, God, I recognize that what you did for me. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming as my voluntary substitute. Thank you. I surrender my life to you. Oh, that scares me a little bit. Yeah, I don't understand all of it. No, but you love me so much. How could I think that doing anything else makes sense. What's keeping you? What's keeping you from taking that step of of faith and trust in a God who, you've heard me say this once or twice too, who loves you, who knows you best, but still loves you most?
What's keeping you from surrendering? I want you to pray. If you want to surrender your life to Christ, maybe you're engaging online. You can do it wherever you are. You don't have to do it in church. God's with you. God sees you. God hears you wherever you are. If you're in this place and you want to surrender your life to Christ, you just pray. Father, something like this. It's not about these words. God knows your heart, right? That's the most important. God, I surrender. I give you my life. I receive your forgiveness. I want to live for you. I want to trust you. I do trust you. I make that choice to trust you now as my God, as my Savior, as my forgiver, as the leader of my life. Come into my life. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin and from my old way of living because I, I don't know best. You created me, and so I surrender to your great plan for my life. I thank you for your love shown to me in Jesus Christ now, in Jesus' name. Amen. My friend, if you, if you prayed that prayer, expressed that to God, or you came at that today as, as, a, as a recommitment, you've drifted far from God. There's a QR code that'll be on the screen that you can scan, and that'll bring up a form that will allow you to leave us your contact information. We would just love the privilege to come alongside you and, and, and help you in any way, to give you resources, to answer any questions you have. Those engaging online, you'll see the, the QR code there as well. Uh, so feel free to do that. God bless you.